Welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast. Still not quite there with my voice. Can't shake this cough. If you're going through an annoying summer cold as well, oh, I do feel for you. Now, before I share today's episode, do me a favour, rate and review this podcast. Uh, just grab your phone and click through on the podcast app that you're listening on or if you're already in iTunes and a lovely five-star review. I think I'm on about 90. So if I can get to 100, that'd be lovely. So that's like five of you or even if you want to do it five times, um, just let me know that you like what I'm waffling on about. Coming up to four and a half years of doing this podcast, I was thinking about what I should do for my fifth anniversary. So any ideas, feel free to let me know. It's natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com. And the other thing that I just wanted to remind you of is if you're in the north of the UK, we, as in a group of um, fertility peeps that uh, we're calling ourselves Talk Fertility, and I've mentioned it on this podcast before, we're doing a male fertility event on Wednesday the 12th of June in Manchester and we've got an amazing, amazing host of experts. We've got Dr. Mohammed Akhtar, who's a specialist in male fertility, Robin Hadley, who talks about living as a childless man. We've also got Dr. Michael Carroll, who's amazing at talking about the environmental and lifestyle effects that impact sperm health. And we're going to be welcoming Jack Broadley, who is the founder of Baggy Trousers, which is a charity raising awareness of testicular cancer. Uh, it's all about checking your nuts. And um, Jack and I connected and he told me how he gets a lot of men kind of talking about their concerns about their fertility when it comes to fertility preservation. So that's something that we're going to be talking about. Now, each ticket is two for the price of one so basically each ticket is for two people so if you're a little bit like intimidated at the idea of coming to a fertility event then just grab yourself a ticket uh, the details are in Eventbrite and I'll put the uh, link in the show notes so make sure you listen to the end of this episode and you can bring someone along with you or if there's no one that um, you can get to come with you we always have a little whatsapp group where you can get in touch with us and we'll make sure that you know you don't feel alone because these things are a bit daunting and we want to make you feel as welcome as possible. So make sure you're listening to the end to get all the details that you need. The episode you're about to hear is a really interesting conversation, of course, it's interesting, with Dr. Phil Boyle. Now, Dr. Phil Boyle has a restorative approach to reproductive medicine. And I was keen to talk to him about his approach, which he's been developing and writing papers on, and especially how it helps older women, women who are later to motherhood. So. Have a good listen to him before we start the chat, though. Here's a couple of messages from my sponsors who make this podcast possible. You'll know that I talk a lot about support on this podcast, and that's why I'm really chuffed to be working with one of my sponsors, Apricity. They offer extra fertility benefits at no extra cost. And when you start your treatment with Apricity, you'll benefit from support and guidance seven days a week with your very own Apricity advisor. Plus, there's an app to keep you in the know every step of your fertility journey. And you know what? You pay the same as you would at a clinic. Find out more at apricity.life forward slash podcast. Another of my sponsors is International Andrology, who specialize in diagnosing and treating male infertility. Around 50% of infertility issues are male factor, and all too often, men aren't even evaluated at the start of a fertility journey. 
which might result in unnecessary treatments, costs and disappointment. International Andrology is one of the few specialist clinics in the UK, offering a holistic approach to increase your chances to conceive naturally or via the IVF route. As well as treating the underlying causes of male infertility, their doctors have some of the highest success rates in microsurgical sperm retrieval. So, if you're looking for a true specialist to assist you on your fertility journey, visit london-andrology.co.uk today and do mention the Fertility Podcast. I'm now going to welcome Dr. Phil Boyle to the podcast. He's the developer of Neo Fertility and a fertility doctor. He's also a member of the Irish Fertility Society and president of the International Institute of Restorative Reproductive Medicine, which we're going to find out more about. Dr. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Natalie. Just the use of the word restorative fills me with hope. So can you tell me a bit more about your approach? Because this is a new treatment that you're behind, isn't it? Yeah, our thinking is that if you're not getting a successful pregnancy, if you're either getting miscarriages or experiencing infertility, then there has to be a reason for that. And we have evolved over the last 20 years of clinical experience that I've been doing this, and we've identified more and more additional factors that are contributing to the overall title of subfertility, meaning either infertility or miscarriage. And we we're, were of the view that infertility is rarely caused by a single issue, and it's usually multiple things at the same time, all working together to impair uh, fertility. And the challenge for us, for each individual we see, is which factors are most important in your case. So there, there are recurring themes, but then there are issues that are unique to each individual that you've got to look out for. And for us, we've got around a dozen uh, or so different things that we consider for every couple that are hoping to uh, try and conceive. So more often than not, are individuals or couples coming to you having had failed attempts? Yes. So about a third of the couples that we see have tried and failed IVF and somewhere between 20 to 25 percent are told IVF is the next step. So uh, we're getting people uh, very much at that bracket. But what you have to remember, IVF was developed for blocked fallopian tubes where you can't get pregnant because the tubes are blocked. Uh, it's also been shown to be helpful for a very severe male factor infertility. So if, if there's a, even a, a reduced sperm count, we can often work with sperm counts uh, in and around the 5 million plus, we're confident we're going to get there. And uh, if we have at least one fallopian tube, then we could work with that. We don't even need two fallopian tubes. And often we go for surgical reconstruction, but they're the main areas, severe male factor and blocked fallopian tubes, where natural probably isn't a good option and uh, in vitro would be a better option. But the vast majority of people that are doing in vitro fertilization uh, don't need it. And controversially, Professor or Lord Winston has said this repeatedly and generates a degree of controversy about it. But I think where he falls maybe a little bit short is, well, what is the alternative uh, that we can do? And I don't think respectfully he's, he's aware of a lot of the new things that we've actually started to do with this because, well, we need to publish more. We don't have enough publications yet. Uh, we, we've grown more through clinical experience. Well, let's talk more about these other ways, because sadly, a lot of the people I speak to have been diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which the term in itself leaves people in such a state of stress because they don't know which action to take. And there's all the controversy around add-ons and the emphasis that you put on things like diet and hormone balancing, that people can 
take hold of and empower themselves with more knowledge about seems to make much more sense. So can we just talk a bit about those, those steps that you, you help people along with? Well, the very first step in anything medical is to establish a diagnosis. I think it's hugely unacceptable to have this unexplained infertility. It means, well, it's not being assessed in a thorough uh, fashion. And what we go right back to is, well, what are the signs, the natural signs that your body shows that you're fertile? And especially with respect to the female cycle, uh, well, she gets a menstrual bleed. Uh, she gets a few uh, dry days where there's no discharge. And then she gets the fertile discharge, which most women are familiar with. The last day of that visible mucus or discharge is presumed ovulation. Uh, and then uh, if she's not pregnant about two weeks later, her bleed comes on. In addition to that, she should get a temperature rise. Um, and what we like to measure is uh, get somebody to document all of these things in a systematic, precise, methodical fashion. And our fertility app is helping a lot of people to do that. So when people get that information, we can see the bleeding pattern, their mucus flow, the presumed ovulation day, the length of the cycle. And we can see a lot of things even before we do a blood test. And I've seen so many who have a previous diagnosis of unexplained infertility just by simply documenting what their body is telling them and showing us their fertility pattern, we can see it jumping off the page where the problem lies. So that would be the very first step that I'd recommend for most people. The second step, absolutely, uh, that is, is diet, nutrition, and supplements. So common pro-inflammatory foods for us are too much dairy, too much wheat, and too much sugar. So as a, a broad strokes anti-inflammatory dietary strategy, if you're having your brown bread with a slice of cheese, a glass of milk, a bowl of Weetabix, you're overloading on all those problem foods. Better to go for porridge made on your skimmed milk. Skimmed milk is actually fine. Uh, water, your, your fruit, your nuts, um, and, and go away from the wheat dairy side of things. In addition to that, people can be, may have a multivitamin deficiency. So we go for a very good, broad uh, multivitamin. One of our current favorites at the moment is the ProSieve because it's a sachet. They pour it into a glass of water, they mix it up and they drink it down and it's loaded with everything. But you could be very confident these nutrients will be absorbed because they're dissolved in liquid. Now, some people do find it hard to take. Um, and in which case we'd say, we'll go for the capsules. They're not as strong, but they, they will still give a whole range of the multivitamins we're looking for. And there are some concerns with capsules because there are multivitamins, you take them, they go through your system and, and they don't absorb so well. But the reason I like this one is it's research-based um, in terms of there are publications that will show zinc, selenium, magnesium, and all these trace vitamins, minerals, elements will improve fertility. So uh, they've put all those together in one supplement and um, I tend to recommend it anywhere between three to six months. A good number of people aren't nutritionally deficient and we tend to over-treat a little bit with that, but that's our simple way of doing it where we'd say, well, if we suspect you may be deficient, let's make sure we've covered that. Mm. So we've got diet and supplements. And then the other thing as an overall concept for people is it's a very frustrating thing when a friend tells you, well, just relax and it'll happen. <laughs> uh, there's more truth in it uh, than, than people would care to, to recognize because it's like, how can I relax? This is so painful. This is so traumatic. This is, uh, we really want to do this. And it gets really annoying when people say that. But rather what we're looking for is uh, what we refer to as surrender and acceptance. A little bit like bereavement. Nobody likes or wants bereavement, but it happens. It's a fact of life. So 
we accept and surrender to something that is very unpleasant. And somewhat the same when you're really trying to conceive, if you actually carry that burden too much and try too hard, it becomes self-defeating. So our strategy to achieve success is to say, today is the day we drop that burden uh, because we want to get success and carrying that burden is going to hinder us. Some people need help to get that and there's various levels of help. We go for the likes of um, organic conceptions, which are an American-based group that do, do self-help to help people understand and recognize the reason you feel awful is because this is awful and that's okay. And here's, here's how we live uh, with the trauma that this is. And here's how we help to move to acceptance uh, in the hope uh, that we may still get success. So they're very good. If that isn't enough, because that's more of a self-help thing, then we up it a notch to the likes of um, counseling and a properly trained counselor who really understands this is important. But you have to recognize the emotional, psychological traumas of fertility. It's right up there with bereavement. And not every counselor appreciates just how, uh, how that is. So mm. that's, that's another big thing for us. So a strategy for people is get a proper assessment, document your fertility pattern, look at your diet, nutrition, and supplements, look at your relationship, your heart, mind, and emotions, and be liberated from this burden and laugh, relax, and enjoy during the favorable time. Then we start to look at, at the other things. And there's a real interesting one that we're doing with, with hormones, where we say that um, the, the usual test for hormones is you check your day 21 progesterone. If it's above 30, then you're told you're ovulating. Well, guess what? If you have a monthly cycle, you're ovulating. A blood test really doesn't tell me a whole lot more. Uh, women who don't ovulate won't have a monthly cycle. And our question isn't, are you ovulating? We've got a contrary question that is not practiced uh, ordinarily in, in this field of medicine, where we say, well, what about the quality of your ovulation? So it causes a degree of confusion and head scratching and saying, well, what are you talking about? And we would insist if we know the day that you're presumably ovulating with the help of your fertility pattern from your, say, the Neo-Fertility app, and we time our blood test for seven days after that, we measure a combination of progesterone and estrogen. We use the higher reference range than the, than the day 21, and we look at two bloods instead of just one because it's progesterone and estradiol. And with that, we're able to interpret the quality of ovulation. We would insist blood timed at that stage, progesterone should be above 60 and estradiol should be above 400. And if it's in that zone, then we go, that's an optimum ovulation where you're more likely to get pregnant and you're less likely to miscarry. But a solid, in the subfertility world, eight times out of 10, we'll find that we're getting suboptimal ovulations. Um, and that's a real important one for us to get right as well. And can I just ask that if you've taken that blood test and it isn't optimal, that the things that we spoke about, the diets, um, the, the supplementation can all then impact on a, on a better result, we'd hope. Sadly, the, the, that wouldn't be enough to correct right. We see some modest improvement in it and we'd see that these factors that had been pulling against fertility as part of the multifactorial strategy if you're young and you still have suboptimal hormones, you can get away with it just doing these things. But as age advances, uh, then you need to be more precise about uh, going for hormone-based treatments in order to bring those bloods back into the normal range. I'm interested in, in just picking up on the age comment that uh, you just mentioned, because I know from uh, the, the research that you have been doing, um, there was a, a paper that you had published last July uh, 
I wanted to talk about the hope that you have found for women hoping to have children later in life as the the study that you did had an average age of, of 37 is that right correct yes i know from from the audience of this podcast that um often that's the age that that we are at be it having been trying for some time be it you know life has meant that we're not trying till our, our late 30s so what fresh hope have you found for women who are thinking about starting their families later? Well, we, we go from the average to the outrageous when it comes to fertility treatment. And on an individual basis, you can never predict which individual will get success or failure. But somebody who um, has really pleased us through our practice, she came to us at the age of 43 with five failed IVF, and she delivered her baby at the age of 44, uh, her first baby. That Is would that be with her own egg. Oh, yeah, because we're natural. So, right. uh, so it's all with your own eggs. Okay. So that would be the more uh, outer end of the scale of what we can get. And uh, we wouldn't get 100 pregnancies for 100 people with that kind of a picture. So what I often say to people, there's an age-related graph that we have that's actually on our website as well. And it shows the natural decline in the expected live birth rate with advancing female age. So that you can look at your age and see on the graph. And there's a graph for the expected life birth rate with an IVF, uh, a single IVF cycle, or the expected life birth rate for a year of natural conception with balanced cycles. And across every age group, what I uh, see is the expected life birth rate uh, for advancing female age is higher for natural conception compared to a single round of IVF. The only difference is it's a year of natural conception, which is head wrecking for us as well as people we treat. Mm. And I had a couple who was with us and she had this magic 35. I, I'm 20 years doing this. Nobody worried about age till they were 40 when I started doing it, but everybody has a degree of panic now at 35. But the number of 35 is primarily because of the IVF data. And, uh, and IVF data, the HFEA in the UK have the official data, but you have to look very, very closely uh, because it's for 100 women who start a cycle, uh, how many have baby in hand at the end of it? And that's where you got to look closely at the numbers. It's roughly one in three mm. for women who are below 35, and it's down to uh, about one in 10 by the time you're 40. So the numbers uh, dramatically decline with advancing female age. But what we'd observe is the expected live birth rate in those same age groups and the general population for natural conception is way above those numbers. And our thinking is, and what we've observed clinically, if we implement a restorative approach with multifactorial treatments to get you healthy, get you happy, get a balanced cycle, get hormones in the normal range, but then validate that with ultrasound scans to visualize that ovulation is definitively happening, work on the male factor as well, and then for those who need to, we refer for surgery as well. And you can have silent, symptom-free, hidden endometriosis, but you need to find the good surgeons that are capable of identifying and treating that, which is a real challenge as well. So with that multifactorial strategy, what I have found is uh, for those who are going down the road of fertility treatment, they get anywhere from three to six months, for example, of Clomid. Um, and that isn't as widely practiced as it used to be. Uh, because it used to be given for so-called unexplained infertility, even if your day 21 progesterone is normal. So that is dropped from common practice where it's not even attempted anymore. And uh, here's the part where there's a, a bit of a disconnect on two levels. 
that will first of all establish the diagnosis and correct it and six or three cycles isn't enough everybody agrees it's normal to take a year to get pregnant so if we find and fix multiple factors uh, then we say now we allow it to happen anywhere within the next 12 cycles so that part is important for us that a lot of people tend not to do i'm really interested in whether this is down to our perception in that when people think about having fertility treatment, more often than not, they think that they're going to ultimately have IVF. Whereas your approach with this restorative approach and looking at these different factors that we've discussed is still ultimately fertility treatment because you're treating somebody's fertility. And I think that we've kind of got confused in what we're calling things and people aren't realizing that this 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 part that you're doing is as significant rather than people being rushed into having an IVF cycle not being ready physically or mentally and ultimately it failing and then going through ongoing failed cycles as your case studies highlight people are going through sadly numerous failed cycles IUIs miscarriages and then coming to you and I know one of the comments that somebody said was that you had actually said they'd probably end up diagnosing themselves so I'm assuming that the way that you're educating people in all of this stuff, they're obviously going off and finding out more, which I know we do in this TTC community. We're hungry for this information, but you're practically and actively supporting people making these lifestyle changes with your natural approach, aren't you? Absolutely. And again, being very blunt and direct about what the percentages and the numbers are, uh, I would love 100% for everybody, but I'd say, well, look, here's, here's the age graph for natural conception. Here's how your age matches up. So by the time in the general population aged 40, you're going to get a 40% live birth rate, believe it or not, which is higher than IVF uh, at the youngest ages. And often for us, where there's this... Um, real concern about advancing age well yeah because if we're looking at natural it's 80 percent uh, when you're 35 naturally so it has come down but even at age 40 uh, we're, we still have a significant number who can achieve success so what we'd explain is this genetic aging that's pulling against us here because genetically uh, the reproductive system ages faster than the rest of our cells uh, but there's a whole load of other things that happen at the same time where uh, if we cover all of these other factors, then we can compensate to a degree uh, for advancing age where we correct things like adrenal fatigue. We sometimes look for food intolerance. We sometimes go for antibiotics for treating chronic infections. We have a beautiful treatment uh, with something called low-dose naltrexone, which boosts endorphins and ultimately has an immune-modifying effect. But many women who are plagued with painful periods, low mood, anxiety, fatigue, premenstrual symptoms, they dramatically improve with low-dose naltrexone, and then our hormone fertility treatment works better. So it's very satisfying from a physician point of view, because even for those couples that we don't achieve success with, there's a degree of acceptance and satisfaction. You know what? We have really given this a thorough assessment, a really good shot at it, um, and sometimes despite our best efforts, it's going to escape us. So if people are aware of that, and I often say, well, you own the decision when it's uh, quitting time because the NICE guidelines in the UK will tell us that, yes, it is normal to take a year to get pregnant, but couples who aren't pregnant at the end of year one of trying, if they do nothing other than persist for a second year, up to 50% of couples will conceive in year two. So in fact, it may be normal to take up to two years to get pregnant. We use the 12-cycle the guide as tr the traditional 
uh, a year, then you fit the definition. So let's do a year of, of balanced cycles before we give up on it. It's a suggested soft, flexible stop date because all we've done is restore balance. You're producing one follicle, releasing one egg, normal physiological function. So there's no risk for, for women taking this on a long-term basis because it's about balancing where the deficiencies are. Uh, but it's just in and around the 12 really good cycles completed, I'm becoming less confident that we may have the solution for them. But uh, we do up to five or four or five cycles beyond the 12 for those who aren't ready to stop. But often it's a gentle suggestion, maybe we have done enough. Um, so it's a nice adjustment to it on one level. And some people feel they've got to try IVF and that's always their call to make. And others, uh, it doesn't appeal. So it's, it's always up to what the couple want. So would your ideal be if a couple have been trying for a year and which is normally the point that they go to the doctor and then potentially well, get referred? Sorry. sorry. I, sorry, apologies. But I would even interrupt even there uh, that if somebody is thinking that maybe they might like to attempt conception in three months or six months, you don't have to uh, be in the midst of we're trying. You actually lay your foundations before you attempt conception in the first place. So if somebody develops their fertility awareness by mm -hmm. documenting all the signs of fertility, um, then the, the fertility chart, especially with one of the fertility advisors or teachers who provide instruction, and even within our app, we've, we've got a questions and answer. If somebody has an unusual pattern, we'd say, I know you haven't tried to get pregnant yet, but you know what? There are big red flags here. Your bleeding pattern isn't right. Your, your temperature surge is poor. Uh, you've got all these negative symptoms. You know what? You should see a restorative doctor who can help you to restore this even before you attempt conception. So for us, fertility is a problem. Even before you try to get pregnant, you don't need to be a year trying and you don't need to have three miscarriages to say there's an issue. We can see it coming before it happens uh, with documenting the, the charting pattern. You, you did mention earlier about um, the, the lack of papers published. If people are listing going evidence-based, I want it to be evidence-based. Um, is, is there, I mean, I know you've mentioned some of your success rates. Is the proof in the pudding? Well, um, for me, I've got my clinical experience. We've got over mm. three and a half thousand successful pregnancies. Up to a third of those have tried and failed IVF. The paper, paper that I published was to try and look at, if you like, resistant infertility where they had an average of two failed IVF cycles, an average female age of 37. Um, and um, uh, we looked at, so for example, we looked at everybody who tried and failed IVF before they came to us. But I looked at old data because I, I, our current data is even better, but this is our oldest data. So it'll hopefully be the lowest numbers that'll uh, come up. At that time, one of our challenges was people would do three months of balanced cycles. They'd lose the plot and they'd, they'd get distressed and they'd quit and they'd go away and wouldn't come back. In fact, I had somebody like that recently and they came back after two failed IVF, having done three balanced cycles with us and they just intensity got to them. But they realized, well, IVF wasn't the magic bullet they thought it would be. And thank, thankfully, uh, we, they're now currently pregnant. We got another five balanced cycles and it's, they're well on the way now. But in terms of evidence, there are different levels of evidence. So you start with clinical experience, and that's the level of evidence that we've got. So we don't exaggerate our evidence and say, we've got these definitive publications, everybody needs to go this direction. But we're, we're working towards that. So this group that I'm currently president of, the International Institute for Restorative Reproductive Medicine, our mission is to get more uh, and data and bigger data 
and publish it in, in, in peer-reviewed medical journals to convince our peers who work in this area that we believe infertility is a chronic condition. IVF treats it like an acute condition. Chronic conditions need multiple sustained interventions over time, whereas an acute condition is a single quick thing like an IVF cycle. And we say, if we pay attention to all the facets, then except for those cases where there's extreme male factor or blocked fallopian tubes, most couples with infertility will have a higher probability of getting pregnant, singleton pregnancy, full-term healthy baby, healthy mom, will get higher percentages of going that route rather than going for an IVF route that doesn't pay as much attention to the underlying reason why this isn't working in the first place. The publication we have was to try and challenge established thinking that where it's perceived among physicians as well that IVF is the gold standard, it's the treatment to go for. But if you stop and look at the numbers, they're a, a bit depressing in, in and of themselves, even though there are wonderful pregnancies from it as well. Mm. Uh, but our publication was to challenge that and say, you know what, there's a restorative option. And uh, with our paper, we said with, with life table analysis, looking at our data, we got a 32%. Uh, success rate for couples who had tried an average of two failed IVF and a female age of 37. So we, we picked the most difficult, but an average for most people on a population basis, we're running around a 50% uh, success rate. And I often say, well, there's percentages and then there's people for you individually, it's going to be 100% or 0%. Uh, but on a population basis, here's what you can expect your probabilities to be. So remember, we're not in charge of this, neither us nor you. What we do is let's make this environment as favorable as we can and allow the fertilization that may come into this pleasant um, space that you've generated from a medical, emotional, uh, psychological point of view and just bring them along that. And also, we'll accept the real possibility that sometimes this is beyond us. And when people get that surrender and acceptance, that can sometimes help them to get pregnant as well. Well, I'm going to put all the details of neo-fertility on, on the show notes for this. Uh, Dr. Phil, it's been really interesting hearing about this alternative approach because I know that, that, that my listeners are, are so well-informed and they want to know every option. And I think the more we can get the word out there that it isn't just one route and it's not at all one size fits all, we know. And people want to know their options and, and not be rushed into things and, 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 and have this information to hand to, to try and implement and make these changes. So thank you for sharing. I will put the details of the app as well. We're always happy to, to give people the physical tools because we are obsessed with our phones that we can have in our pockets to, um, to, to help us you know, understand more about our fertility. Thank you for your time. You're very welcome, Natalie. Thanks for having me. It's always my mission to give you like another viewpoint, another way to approach your treatment. If you're trying to conceive and you're not convinced about going down the IVF route yet, or if at at all, there are all sorts of different options and what you just heard Dr. Phil Boyle explain was a, a really different approach which I wanted to give a bit of a spotlight to. So the show notes for this episode to find out his details are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash neofertility. In there will be the Eventbrite link for the men's fertility event that Talk Fertility is putting on in Manchester on the 12th of June. Also, just my social media, which is at Fertility Poddy. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Insta, it's always amazing to hear from you and chat with you. Thank you, as always, for your support. And until the next time, 